Hello and welcome to the Victorian Gas Lamp, the podcast shining a warm light on the 19th century and most notably throughout the reign of Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Episode 40 Please sir, I want some more. For those of you not sure why I just said that in a terrible English accent, well then clearly you have never seen the 1968 film of the musical Oliver, which was in turn based on the Charles Dickens novel Oliver Twist. The phrase comes from when the titular character walks into the front of the food hall and asks for more food. Naturally, the man in charge is outraged, and like all outraged people living in a musical world, he expresses said outrage in song. Before we take the lad to task, may I be so curious as to ask his name? Oliver! Oliver Twist, Mr. Bumble. You named him so yourself. So that's who he is. Oliver, Oliver, never before has a boy wanted more. Oliver, Oliver, won't ask for more when he knows what's in store. There's a dark hill winding stairway without any banister, which we throw him down. And he did not come, she said he did Oliver, Oliver, what will he do when he's turned black and blue? He will rule the day. Somebody name him Oliver. But I'm hearing many of you asking, why on earth are you talking about this, Heath? Excellent question. Well, that's because it makes an excellent segue into this week's episode. Because the aforementioned Oliver was begging for more food in the food hall at the orphanage where he was living. And that is this week's topic, the orphans of England. As a point of trivia, the story of Oliver Twist was serialised in a periodical that began publishing the tale in February 1837, four months before King William IV died. But aside from that, why were there seemingly so many orphans in England? Well, I think now that we are, heavens forbid, 40 episodes into the podcast, that you have some idea of the horrific mortality rate of the time, You had huge numbers of people living in small, cramped buildings, sanitation pretty much didn't exist, and even the concept that germs were the cause of illness was still a fringe idea, just being explored for most of the 19th century. Cholera, consumption, and other diseases spread like wildfire through these areas. Combine this with working conditions that made no attempt to try and get you home alive at the end of the day, and adults had a lot of opportunity to die early and badly. In the 19th century United Kingdom, the general consensus was that poverty was your fault. It was because you had a lack of ambition or skill. You deserved your place among the poor. But this outlook was also tempered by the strict Christian morals that their society had. One of the most important here was that of charity. So while those with money saw the poor as being their own fault, 
the rich also felt a responsibility to offer good Christian charity in aiding those less fortunate. It is from this motivation that the infamous workhouse model came from. I'll cover these in more detail another time, but the workhouse system was created in 1834 and were basically places where those without any sort of income or food or clothing could go. You had to work, of course, hey, it's in the title, but at least it gave you a slim chance that you might be able to get through your current predicament and be fed and basically clothed while you did so. The workhouses were not places where you would want to stay. The people running these places had designed them to encourage you to leave, not to make this your new home. Initially, the workhouses did accommodate children, but rising protests from social reformers saw this policy begin to change. The workhouses had parents that simply could not afford to feed or clothe their children. They could barely feed themselves, and it was why they were in the workhouse to begin with. And given these harsh conditions, it gradually came to public light how the children were being treated. And given how they were being all about Christian charity and all, those with money and influence created another option. The now well-known orphanages, one of which the aforementioned Oliver Twist had been living in. So it does bear keeping in mind that some of the children living in these orphanages did have parents. Some had those that could not take care of them. Some had parents that had simply abandoned their children and gone somewhere else, leaving them behind. And others were what we know as orphans today. Having already lost a parent to misfortune or disease, they were then unlucky enough to lose a second. And this meant that you had children of a very young age living on the streets of the biggest city in the world. I'm sure I've mentioned it before somewhere, but in the 30-year period from 1821, the population of London literally doubled. Huge numbers of people living in an environment that had no real infrastructure to deal with such an influx of people who were looking for work, well, that made for cramped living conditions. And in the poorest area of London, the East End, a full third of the recorded population were single-parent families. So think of the worst scenes that you've seen in movies and books and TV. Thin, narrow streets, wooden buildings, overcrowding everywhere as people try to eke out a few pennies to get through the day, let alone buy a piece of clothing that might fend off the bitter cold of winter that you had to endure because the only coal you could afford was needed for cooking. And even that was not a daily event. Refuse and excrement were tipped into the streets. Water was a commodity that was not always clean. The infant mortality rate increased throughout the century to be higher in 1900 than it was in 1800. Being a kid was a really hard time. There were those that were trying to help. Among the rich, they were offering money and places and paying for teachers to offer these children a chance. 
what became known as ragged schools were a 19th century idea to offer free clothing, education, lodging and food to the street urchins of London. Many of the teachers were locals and were also volunteers. They taught basic education in reading, writing and arithmetic. What I was impressed with was in the 40-year existence of these schools, around 300,000 children received an education in this way, which also gives you some idea of just how many children were actually in dire need of help. And if these places are of interest to you, head to the Ragged School Museum in London. It's here you can find out more of the history of these attempts to try and give children a chance at life rather than working from single digit ages. Another place that had been trying to help children since 1739 was the Foundling Hospital. Thomas Coram, a rich philanthropic sea captain, had been horrified by the number of children he had seen trying to survive on the streets and set about trying to create a place that would help in the education and maintenance of, quote, exposed and deserted children, end quote. One of their priorities was the health of the children, and this caused the education to suffer to some extent. But hey, I guess you have to be alive to learn, and diseases like dysentery and smallpox would often take care of that. At any one time, there would be around 400 boys and girls living in the facility, it had garnered great support from the rich at large, including composer George Frederick Handel and the brilliant artist William Hogarth, the latter being the hospital's first governor. I'm sure many of you have heard of Handel, but maybe less so of Hogarth. Well, he was the hilarious satirist that created those quintessential cartoons poking fun at politicians and social issues in the 1700s. Dr. Jane Levi had extensively researched the lives of these children and found that unlike poor Oliver in Dickens' novel, the orphans at the Foundling Hospital received quite the menu. With three meals a day, many of which included vegetables, the children even ate off china plates. They had to sit and eat in silence and had to put up with having people come along to spectate the charity and watch them on Sunday dinners. Well, their bread even came from Harrods, no less. But the children got brown bread while the staff got white bread, which was considered their more refined loaf. However, a scandal broke out in 1813 when it was found that for the past 20 years, the Foundling Hospital had been receiving skimmed milk, that is, milk that has had the cream removed, and not the full fat version that they had been paying for. Admittedly, it's a minor sort of scandal compared to what might have been happening, and it's unknown who initially started the deception, but given that skimming the milk saved the milk company the current equivalent of £12,000 a year, someone saved a lot of money over two decades. Oh, and if it's crossing your mind and wondering what is the difference between a foundling and an orphan, well, it's kind of easy. Orphans equals no parents, and foundlings were generally children who had parents that unfortunately could not care for them. The foundling hospital actually ran right through until 1951, a total of 281 years. 
Reports from adults who had lived there said that the food was stodgy and filling, but they also had excellent health care, which was somewhat of a blessing. But back in the 1840s, Charles Dixon's actually lived nearby the hospital, and he even rented a pew in their chapel. The children there even inspired his characters in his novels, certainly for Oliver Twist, I would imagine, but also for another novel titled Little Dorrit. What I am impressed with, though, is that when the hospital closed, the UK charity Coram, named for that old sea captain Thomas Coram, still exists to this day. So if you feel like throwing them a few pounds, you should, and you'd be helping children who need it and carrying on a very long tradition. And on that note, I do have to give a shout out to Leah for suggesting this topic. I found it really interesting, so thank you, Leah, for this idea. We actually almost met in Glasgow when I was road tripping my way around Scotland, but I promise Leah, next time I'm there, the Greg's coffees are on me. And with that, here endeth the episode. You can find me at victoriangaslamp.com. My contact details are on there as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at VicGaslamp. And more importantly, on Instagram, where I post historical facts and trivia as well as photos related to the episodes. I am at VictorianGaslamp, or one word, there as well. Thanks for listening and keep a lookout for new episodes. And as always, I'll see you next time under the gas lamp.